You are listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. If you had the ability to take away some of the most painful challenges and experiences that you've had in your life or you may be having, what would be some of the things at the top of your list? Like if you could just snap your finger and they would be gone, like what would be on that list? Would it be family drama? Would it be a, a broken relationship? Would it be a toxic work environment? Would it be addictions that are wreaking havoc in your life or your the life of a family member you love? Uh, would it be a marriage that's on the rocks? Would it be that prodigal or rebellious child that you hope comes back? Would it be sickness? Would it be the longings that you have because of emptiness and depression or loneliness? Would it be the consuming grief that you've been having because of the recent passing of a loved one? You know, you look at all these factors that bring pain in our life, and what we want in those moments is relief from the pain. We want, we want rest from the hardship of it. And those are good, but what we actually need more is redemption. Relief is good, rest is good, but really what's at the core of our being, the, longer, the biggest need in that moment is actually redemption. And when I say redemption, and I'm coming to that word redeem, here's what it means to redeem. It means to liberate or rescue from internal or external evils by payment or ransom of a price, price by another. And and redemption doesn't come through a change of circumstances. Redemption doesn't come through hard work. Redemption doesn't come through religious behavior or good works. It takes someone outside of us who has the ability to redeem or ransom us. From a biblical worldview, we understand that redemption is God taking the initiative to act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. And God did so. God brought redemption by providing a redeemer. We are currently in uh, the Bible book of Ruth in a series called Restoration Road. And we're looking at these aspects of redemption and God's providence and grace through this story. It's a story that is bringing a bigger story to the surface of our minds and hearts. It's a love story that showcases God's divine work, God's divine providence, and God's redemptive love and plans. And so just to bring us all up to speed, because maybe those of you online or those of you in this room that haven't been here, uh, or just if you've been here, but it's been a week or two and you, you need a refresher. And remember, our challenge has been go six for six in the series. Like, don't miss a week. And uh, if you've missed a week physically, then watch it online or listen to it. But just to make sure we're all on the same page, here's what we've seen so far in this book of Ruth. It starts out in Bethlehem in Israel. And there's a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they have two sons. And what happens is there's a famine in Israel. And Elimelech has a fork in the road. He's got a decision to make. Do I stay in Israel, the land of promise, or do I go somewhere else looking for my needs to be met? And so he decides to go to a place called Moab. Now, in and of itself, that might not sound bad, but when you look at the biblical history between Moab and Israel, it's not good. Uh, there, there's, there's bad blood, <laughs> and there's a lot of conflict. I used a kind of interesting analogy the first week. I said, this shift 
culturally would feel like an Amish man leading his family to go live on the Vegas Strip. Like that's what this feels like and looks like culturally. And so Moabites uh, are not people of God. They're worshiping false gods and it's considered a land of compromise. But Elimelech takes his wife and two sons there. And we don't know when and how all these events unfold, but along the way and while there, Elimelech dies leaving Naomi with her two sons who have married Moabite women. One is named Orpah, one is named Ruth. And so uh, at some point, the sons die, and now we have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And now Naomi also has a fork in the road. Do I stay in Moab and try to tough it out here and grind it out, or do I go back home to Bethlehem? And so she says, I got to go back home. And then she presents basically a fork in the road for her daughters-in-law. And she says, you guys stay here in Moab. This is where you're from. This is where you're going to flourish. You just stay here. Orpah says, sounds good. I'm staying. Ruth, on the other hand, says, no, I'm going to go back with you. And we've seen that moment where Ruth makes a covenant with Naomi, this, this fixed commitment that outside of death is going to be broken. And so Ruth says to Naomi, no, I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your land's going to be your, my land. Your people, my people. And your God is now my God. And we brought to the surface how God uh, demonstrates his love and commitment to us through covenant. And that we don't deserve his commitment to us, but he just lavishes his love, lavishes his covenants upon us. And of course, the new covenant that's sealed with the blood of Christ, that we can be his. And so that took us to where we were last week, where Pastor Joe taught. And he says, as, you know, kind of unpack that, as Ruth and Naomi went back to Bethlehem, of course, when they first arrived, people haven't seen Naomi for over 10 years. And they're like, where's your husband? Where's your kids? And who's a strange foreigner with you, right? That's a Moabite? Oh, here we go, right? And so this is all unpacking. And she basically says, don't call me Naomi anymore because that means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I'm bitter. God's taken a lot from me. And so they start to hunker down, Ruth and Naomi in Bethlehem. And they got to eat. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go to the fields where they're harvesting barley and wheat, which by the way, used to be a famine, but God showed up and now there's food again. And so they're going to go harvest the barley and the wheat. And this is where we see God's hand of providence. And that no matter what steps we take, he's going to work his plans out. Even if we take missteps, it's just a mind blower. And so Ruth just so happens to find herself of all the fields in a field belonging to a guy named Boaz, who just happens to be a relative of Elimelech, the Naomi, the family. And so uh, we see God showing his grace and his love as now Naomi, or Ruth is in this place harvesting in this field of Boaz where she's experiencing God's goodness and God's grace. One of my favorite things that Pastor Joe shared last week and it really stuck with me on that whole narrative was that Ruth had a good work ethic, but she still knew that she needed someone else's grace to help her. And so we're going to build on that today to say, what does that look like when we throw in the concept of redemption and redeeming? So open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, fire up your Bible apps to Ruth chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. And as we move forward, here's the concept I want you guys to anchor yourself to this morning. God provides a redeemer. But we have to take a step of faith to receive the redemption that he offers. God provides a redeemer, but it's just not going to happen automatically or float up to us with no effort. You have to take a step of faith, believing in God's provision in order to receive it. That's where we're going to uh, go today. Let's pray and then dive into Ruth chapter 3. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. And uh, 
Father, we confess and we ask for your forgiveness that we try to steer our lives with the information, the insights that the world offers or by our feelings or by our own opinions instead of your word. God, we pray that today you would call us back to your divine, supernatural, inspired word and that you will find our minds and our hearts and our hands ready to receive and to believe and to act upon what you have for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for redemption. Pray that that concept really resonates and fuels us and feeds us today. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read a little bit, unpack it, read a little bit, unpack it, make some applications at the end. Here's what we see, Ruth chapter 3, starting with verse 1, picking up the story. Then, as they're in Israel, as all this is unfolding, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were out there harvesting in the field, you're with the women out there working? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Let's pause. Here's what's happening. At this point in time, Naomi's shifting gears. She's kind of getting out of her bitterness, if you will. She's starting to think about the needs of Ruth and kind of them as a unit and basically going, look, you're a young widow. Hanging out with your old mother-in-law for the rest of your life is not really the picture of flourishing. (laughs) We got to do something different. And as a widow, she's in a season of mourning. So really what we're understanding what's happening here is Naomi is now trying to get Ruth out of the mindset of mourning. There's not time to mourn anymore, but time to move on with your life. And I want rest for you, meaning I want you to find a place of security. I want you to find a home. I want you to find your needs being met. And we know that that's going to happen best with a man who will take you as a wife. And then she starts doing the mother, mother-in-law thing, matchmaking, right? Have you thought about Boaz? You know, you've been spending a lot of time with Boaz. Because when you see, when, when they showed up into Bethlehem, it was the time of the, the harvest, And now we see him winnowing. So we know this is about six to eight weeks where Ruth and Boaz have been seeing each other and interacting with each other. And we don't know what that looked like, but they got to mix it up a little bit and get to know each other a little bit. And maybe Naomi was picking up on like a little chemistry. But here's the other thing. She pulls the card of going, and he's our relative. We'll talk about that in a minute, about why that's so significant. And so Naomi's coming up with a plan. Here's how we can kind of make this matchy-matchy happen. And uh, she's going to encourage Ruth to lay out this scheme, all right? And uh, what she's basically doing is she's prepping Ruth to go approach Boaz hoping for marriage. Like not dating, not just like, you know, little candle. Like, no, we need to start talking about marriage. And that's what she's leading her to do. So here's how this is unpacking as you look at the plan. The plan is that Boaz is going to be winnowing on the threshing floor. Just looking at the culture of the harvest, uh, what they would do is they would gather the wheat, the barley, and these big bushels. They would take them somewhere outside the town, usually, to uh, a rock crop that would be flat and tough. And they would put all the, the, the bundles of the wheat or the barley on this rock ground called the threshing floor. And then they would usually have a mule dragging a flat piece of wood with some you know, rough 
bottom on the exterior and they would load up kids or people on top of this thing and walk in circles running over the wheat and the barley breaking apart the barley and the wheat from the husk and the stalk so there's just this mess now this pile of some of its wheat or barley some of its husk some of its stalk and then uh the workers or the owner would take what's called a winnowing fork. It would be about two or three times the size. It's just a small one for illustration. And they would get on that threshing floor. And because it would be a breeze, and if you notice, when is Boaz doing this? Is he doing this in the day, the morning, or the night? What's it say? The evening. It's going to be cooler. I mean, look, if you're going to winnow, would you rather do it at 100 degrees in the Middle East and during the day with gusty winds or in the evening where it's cooler with a little breeze, right? And so he would take the, the, all that material and throw it into the air. The wheat and the barley, which were heavier, would fall to the ground back to the threshing floor. And then all the stalk and the husk would be up in the air and it's called chaff. The chaff would be blown away by the breeze and then gathered up later and burned. And so we see this winnowing landowner now out there winnowing. That's what's going to be happening. And so she says, as he's doing that, he's going to come to a place of completion. The, the crop is going to be done. He's going to have a nice big meal. He's going to send the workers away. And then he's going to have this you know, celebration meal. He's going to be content. He's going to be happy. This is a great time to approach him. Like, don't, don't show up in the middle of winnowing like, hey, can I have a word? You know, like, that's not going to go well with you. He's hungry, he's sweaty, he's not really... Want, but this is the moment where you can come and he's going to be more receptive. And so that's the plan. And then, and then what happens is Ruth is supposed to approach him and then make sure that she's watching him. She's going to be in stealth mode and she's supposed to make sure there's no one else around and basically keep your eyes on Boaz because you don't want to get the wrong dude. Make sure you know where he lays down so you don't like take your eyes off and they're like, oh, I think that's him, right? Make sure you got the right guy. He's going to lay down next to his pile of grain and here's what you're going to do. He's going to go to bed happy. He's going to go to sleep. You're going to, in your stealth mode, walk up. You're going to uncover his feet, which when you look at that language, in the original language, means literally his feet, maybe up to the knees. That's about it, okay? And then you're going to wait. You're just going to wait to see when he wakes up. And when he does, just do whatever he says. That's, that's the plan. And so that's what's coming together. What is going to happen next is uh, where we're going to go. But before we do, I just want to say a lot of people have really read into this text and, and distorted it. And what happens is this is absolutely a bold step of faith. What, what Ruth is doing is crazy bold, huge risk. So it's risky, but it's not risque. And that's what some people have done. They said this is all about a sensual, seductive moment where she is to go and to present herself and, and then do whatever he wants. And maybe, you know, you know, who knows what? Let your imagination run wild. That's how this is often painted. But that's not really what the plan is. When you, when you look at the language of the text and you look at the text in its whole, here's what you basically see Naomi telling Ruth. Look, honey, you got to get cleaned up. You're going to take a bath and we're going to put some nice fragrance on you, and you're going to put on a clean outfit. Now, she doesn't say she's going to go run down to the Hebrew, you know, uh, Victoria's Secret and get something. <laughs> she, she's not saying that. The, the word cloak here is the word for the common outfit. She's basically saying, dude, you're not going to wear what you've been wearing while you've been harvesting. You're going to put on something clean, and you're going to go down. You're going to be an opportunist. You're going to look for an opportunity where he's happy and he's alone late in the evening. You're going to uncover his feet, no higher, let's just say, all right? And then you're going to wait. 
It doesn't say that she's going to lay on his feet, cuddle up to him, lay on him. In fact, as the text unfolds, when Boaz wakes up, she's laying at his feet, not on his feet. So some people try to make this really sensual, but here's what we see unfolding. This is not a sensual moment, but it's a very submissive moment. But it's still super bold and super risky. And that's where we pick up where the story leaves off. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Let's just pause there. This is sometimes where Boaz gets misconstrued too. That it's interpreted that, oh, he, he, he had a lot of wine that night and was in a drunken stupor, passed out, and of course he'll be more receptive to whatever happens. That's not the language. If you dig into the language, this, this Mary is that he's in a happy state of heart. So he just had a nice meal. I'm sure there was some wine involved to celebrate. And then he's content. This is painting a picture of a very contented, satisfied guy who just worked for weeks, has his harvest. He's there sleeping overnight to protect it from thieves or animals, from stealing it. And he's, he's really happy about the moment and he goes to sleep. And then she comes up and she uncovers his feet. Uh, verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came, softly uncovered his feet, lay down. Verse 8, at midnight, so it's late, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a, what's the word? Redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness, remember that word, greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Let's stop. Ruth carries out the plan, sort of. She carries out the first part of the plan. She goes down. She waits for the moment. She uncovers his feet. And she waits for him to wake up. This is where in my brain, I just want more information. I'm going like, how long did she wait? Was it 20 minutes? Was it two hours? Because she's not sleeping. She's waiting for us. Like, come on, dude, would you wake up already? Like, come on, you know? And then when he woke up, imagine to his surprise. Like, and we did, he heard a sound, the cool of the air on his legs. Something woke him up, startled him up. He looks, there's a woman at his feet. And it says, who are you? Like, how did he say that? Was the, the groggy like, who are you? Was like, whoa, who are you? Was like, uh, who are you? You know, like, what did that look like? And then look at her response. This is where we tap into what we talked about last week. It's her identity and confidence and humility are all kind of fusing together. She does not say, I am Ruth the Moabite. She does not say, I'm a Moabite widow. She doesn't say, I'm Naomi's daughter-in-law. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. You know, it's interesting. One of the customs at the time was that when workers would be with their masters, they would oftentimes lie at their feet to be readily available if the master needed something. This is a posture of submission. This is a posture of humility that she's coming to him in this moment. And yet there's confidence mixed in the humility as she speaks up. And here's the thing. She's carrying out the plan that Naomi instructed her to until this point. Because what Naomi said is once he wakes up, just, just, just do what he says. 
Naomi is too smart for this and she's too ready to act upon this. This is the bold step of faith. She takes the initiative. She flat out says, I'm your servant, Ruth. You are a what? Redeemer. And basically she proposes him to marry her. That's super bold. And that's what's happening in this moment. And the, by the way, uh, the way she did that, she said, I want you to put your wings over me. Sometimes it's translated garment. It's the Hebrew, Hebrew word kanap. And what it's a reference to is that whenever you are under the wings of God or under the wings of, in this case, uh, a spouse, they're going to care for you, provide, protect, shelter you, bring you in close under their care. And so what Ruth is saying here is that I trust you. I, I want you to care for me. Uh, provide for me, protect me. I want you to marry me. Bring me under your garment. Bring me under your wings. In fact, even today, in many Jewish weddings, they still carry out the symbolism in their wedding ceremony. A lot of times they'll take that prayer shawl in the ceremony and the husband will wrap his bride in his prayer shawl as a symbol of still bringing her under his wings. This is what Ruth is asking for. But why is she asking this? It's because he is the goel. Everyone say goel. Your Hebrew is getting even better. Goel means the kinsman redeemer. He's the redeemer. This is why she's approaching him. This is what Naomi was getting to when she said, it is not Boaz, a relative. So what is a kinsman redeemer? Here's, here's a great way to understand this. It's the closest male relative who had the privilege, really an obligation. He didn't have to do it, but there was a cultural obligation. He had a privilege to marry a deceased brother's childless widow and have children to keep the family going he could inherit the family property he could purchase a family member out of slavery basically the kinsman redeemer has the ability and qualification to do for the deceased and the deceased family what they could not do that's the role he has and so Ruth is playing this card in a gentle way you're the redeemer marry me if you will. And just again, culturally understand what just took place. This is so bizarre and bold. You have a woman asking a man to marry her. You've got a younger person asking an older person to marry. We don't know the age difference between um, Boaz and Ruth, but it was noticeable, right? That's why he's praising her for not going after younger, younger guys, right? And uh, you also have a servant asking a master to marry her. And you also have a foreign Moabite woman asking a native Israeli to marry her. This is breaking all the rules. But she's got a redeemer. She's not waiting. She's taking the initiative to see if the redeemer would want her, if the redeemer would have her. And what's his response? Verse 10 makes it very clear. He is more than happy to do this. He is more than happy. She finds a redeemer who wants her. Imagine what Ruth is feeling in this moment. Imagine the joy, the plans coming together. This is going along great. One problem. The good news is Boaz is a man of integrity. He's going to follow the rules. The bad news is Boaz is a man of integrity. He's going to follow the rules because now there's a snag. Look what we pick up in the next section, verse 11. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He's going, yep, I'm a redeemer. I'm just not the redeemer. There is a family member closer to your family than I am. 
major bomb just got dropped, right? Now, now it's like, uh, okay, Boaz will take me, but what about this other guy? I've never met him. I don't know him. He's next in line. And so look what Boaz says. He says, verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Like, that's good for her, right? Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. He measured it out. He had to put it on her. We think this could have been upwards of almost 80 pounds. Uh, Ruth was, was a strong woman, okay? Hard worker, strong woman. He gives her these six measures of barley. It says that she then went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, uh, she said, Naomi said, how did you fare, my daughter? Which if you dig really into the literal nature of this expression, what Naomi is actually asking Ruth is, whose are you? Like, how'd it go? She's basically saying, like, well, who are you as you return to me? Are you, are you Ruth the Moabite? Are you still mine? Or are you Boaz? How'd it fare? Whose are you? And then she said, uh, told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And now, Ruth's in wait mode. Don't we love how God just puts us in wait mode? It's our favorite, isn't it? Now she has to wait. I don't think anybody slept good that night. Which, by the way, again, no funny business. All we've seen so far in the book of Ruth is that Boaz and Ruth are people of impeccable character. So we, we, don't, see, we don't have any reason to believe there was sexual morality in this moment, that there was sexual manipulation. It was a huge risk on Ruth's part. What if Boaz was offended? What if he you know, took advantage of her? Like there's, This is loaded with um, danger in a sense. It's a big risk for Boaz. Like, this is a Moabite woman. Not everybody's a fan. He could risk social outcast. Uh, what are people going to think? But they're going to move forward. And so he says, stay here. And then because it does look bad, it does look scandalous, and someone's going to get the wrong idea, let's get you up before everyone's awake and get you out of here. And then he gives her a gift, which we'll talk about in a second. So this is a, an amazing plan. I just don't think anybody slept good that night. I mean, you got to know what Ruth was sitting there, like trying to drift off, like, I'm going to be married, and I don't know who my husband is. Is it Redeemer 1 or Redeemer 2? Okay, so she's, she's trying to figure out what's going to happen. So, you know, there's restlessness there. Boaz probably didn't just like knock off to sleep. He's like, okay, here we go. I'm getting married, uh, but I got to talk to this guy. I wonder what he's going to do. So if he does this, then I'll do this. If he does this, then... so he's probably, and then you got Naomi like waiting. When's Ruth coming home? What happened? What's going on? Restless night. But there's trust in the mix. And I love what Boaz did for Ruth. He again, like he had done before, was generous with her, with the barley. Gave her six measures. Now he could have just been generous. It could have been a token of the seriousness of his commitment that he was taking, uh, that he was giving to her and she was taking back to Naomi just to say, uh, this is to show you that I'm going to make good on my commitment. It could have actually even been a bride price. Naomi was Ruth's guardian. So it could have been like, hey, I'm, I'm paying, paying the bride price to the mother-in-law. Whatever it was, there was generosity and now they were waiting. And we get to find out more about what happens next week. 
But what do we do with what we saw today? And this is where I've come to, as I've been looking at this passage over and over and over again for the last couple weeks, is this is what stood out to me. When we look at Ruth, here's what we see. Ruth had needs she could not meet on her own. She had a redeemer that God had provided to meet those needs. But yet, she still had to take a step of faith to receive the redemption. And when she did, guess what she found? A redeemer who wanted her. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christ. Because the same is true for us. We have needs we can't meet on our own. Hope, joy, peace, security, and most importantly, right relationship with God. Forgiveness from God. We have no ability on our own to make ourselves right with God. Good works, religious behavior, like nothing could do it. We need a redeemer who's going to be able to work from the outside to make it possible. And so we have needs we can't meet. God has provided a redeemer in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes down. He dies on the cross to ransom or pay back humanity from the consequences of sin, from the punishment of sin, from the power of sin, from the presence of sin. Jesus came and did that. Like we we look at Boaz and go, what did Boaz give to indicate his commitment to the plan? Six measures of barley. What's the price for rebellious, disobedient, arrogant, selfish human soul? What do you have to pay to buy one of those back? Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life on the cross because only a pure, holy, divine solution was going to work. It wasn't going to be a a, a physical, material solution to buy us back, to redeem us. It had to be a moral, a supernatural, spiritual solution, and God provided that in Christ. Yet, we still have to take a step of faith and believe in Christ and believe in what he accomplished on the cross in order to receive the redemption that God offers. It's, it's not a head nod toward it. It's not hearing about it. It's, it's not just I'm going to be good and I kind of get it automatically. We have to take a step of faith, belief in who God's provided and what he did. And when we do, you know what we find? We find a redeemer who wants us. He wants us. I believe some of the reasons that some of you are watching online or here in this room is you need to be reminded today that God wants you and he loves you and he's so committed to you, so determined to spend forever with you that he went to the cross on your behalf. He loves you and he wants you. You have a redeemer who wants you. And we see this big love story as we read the little love story. And we see the gospel popping all over the place. Like look at Boaz, kinsman redeemer. He foreshadows Christ. It's a picture of what Jesus does for us. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, we see this. For the grace, grace is getting something you don't deserve. The grace of God has appeared. How? In Christ, right? Bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. That is what happens when we receive Christ. We trust in that. We receive redemption from the power of sin. In Christ, we have the ability to uh, renounce ungodliness, renounce worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. 
Like that is delivered. So, so on the cross, Jesus accomplished redemption, but it's not fully complete yet. Well, what are we waiting on? Verse 13 in Titus 2. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the returning of Christ, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to, what's the word? Redeem. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. See, the redemption in Christ has freed us right now from the power of sin but yet we're still waiting for his second coming where he comes and fully and finally and completely frees us from the presence of sin. All the painful things that came to your mind when I asked you if you could remove these painful experiences and circumstances, what would they be? That's, we experience those because we're still in a fallen, broken world experiencing the presence of sin for now. But when Christ returns, that will be eliminated. And then Christ is going to bring those who are his to himself. And just as Boaz is a winnowing redeemer, Jesus is a winnowing redeemer. There was a man named John the Baptist that came on the scene to kind of uh, prepare the way for Christ to do his ministry. Here's what he said about Jesus. It's captured in Matthew 3. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There is a day when Christ is coming, and he too will have a winnowing fork in his hand. The judgment day of Christ. And when he comes to the threshing floor of the final judgment and he looks at the sea of humanity, he's going to put his winnowing fork, if you will, into it and he's going to winnow. And those who've rejected the Redeemer, rejected relationship with God, rejected forgiveness, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to believe in this God. Jesus is just another prophet. He's just another. All those people that have rejected are going to be like the chaff that are blown away, gathered and burned for eternity. And everyone who says, yes. I want Jesus as my Redeemer. I need Christ, who just like Ruth, comes submissively to the feet of the Redeemer and say, will you take me? All those people are like the wheat and the barley that fall to the floor that Christ gathers forever to be His. And if you are in Christ, that's your future. That's your future. But if you've never made that commitment, if you believe what God is saying, chaff and so we see the gospel we see this beauty we see all these things as we read through Ruth so the good news is God's provided a redeemer but we have to take the step of faith to receive the redemption so for all my brothers and sisters in Christ those online because you can't be here physically right now those of you in the room I believe that the reason God wants us to stare at this in the face today is to be reminded of how great his love is how powerful his sovereignty is as he works despite our mess-ups <laughs> and to let your redemption fuel the faith, the hope, the strength, the joy, the peace, the security that you need to walk every day redeemed from the power of sin waiting to be redeemed from the presence of sin. And all those things on the list, redemption is what we need most because it helps us find the rest. It helps us find the relief. And for those of you who've never given your life to Christ, another fork in the road. 
either the first time or another time that God is knocking on the door of your heart saying, I have offered you redemption. Will you take it? And if you've never done that, you basically have to just tell God what you're hearing and understanding. God, I'm broken. (laughs) I can't fix it. I need a redeemer. And I'm turning to you. And then you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You got to put your faith in him. Take that step of faith and then commit your life to following him. And if you've never done that, just tell God that. And then our job as a community of faith, a family of faith, is to come around you and celebrate that with you. And then also help you take your next steps to grow in the relationship with Jesus. You didn't sign up for religion, you sign up for a relationship. And so we help you take those steps in that relationship. And so uh, if, that, if you've never done that, two options to follow up on that. One is talk to myself or anyone with a yellow lanyard out in the foyer and just say, I need to give my life to Christ or I gave my life to Christ today, what's my next step? We'd love to help you take the next step. Or maybe you're watching online or you're here and you've got something next, but you, you can't talk right now. Or you're a little bit nervous about that. Pull up that response number. Such a great tool. And just text the word Redeemer today. Just say, text Redeemer. I need Jesus as my Redeemer. Text that to the response number, 440-276-5575, and we'll tell you about the next steps that you can take. If, if you're not ready, but you want to have a bigger conversation, text the word connect to that number and say, like, I've got questions. I want to talk more about this. I want to connect with you. All right, text the word connect, and we'd love to follow up with you. My hope, my prayer, is that whatever God's put on your heart today, whatever the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention, you'll be faithful to take the next steps and experience the joy the relief, the rest, and the redemption that God has for you because of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Man, there's so much more in even these verses than we talked about. There's so much more of your goodness to talk about. There's so much more of your redemptive power. There's so much more of your grace and your sovereignty and and how this points us to the gospel. But Lord, you've, you've shown us enough today that we get it. So God, would you take what was said? Would you take what's been sung? Would you continue to use it to plant seeds for the gospel in people's hearts, water seeds of the gospel that have already been planted, and to harvest seeds today? Help those people that have never given life to Christ to take that first step of faith today. And Father, for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, may we all walk out of here with a refreshed joy of knowing just how much you love us and want us and have done for us. Help that to fuel every step of the next hours, next days, and weeks that you've given us. So Father, take us. Let us live our lives for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website at www.cvconline.org.